listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing Dio's fourth studio album, Dream Evil. Released on July 21st, 1987, it's the first full-length album to feature new guitarist Craig Goldie. Goldie making his first recorded appearance on the studio-recorded song Time to Burn from the previously released Intermission EP, which we covered in our last episode. Dream Evil would mark the end of an era for the band, though, as Ronnie would be the only member to remain after the album's tour. Goldie and bassist Jimmy Bain later returning on the Magica album, and drummer Vinnie Apice eventually returning for the Strange Highways album. Claude Schnell, whose keyboards play a more prominent role on on the Dream Evil album, would depart the band for good. Uh, This would even be Murray's last appearance on a Dio album cover. Produced by Ronnie, the album would find the band continuing continuing along the path they had created with the three previous albums. With the now predictable fast album opener, in this case Night People, the majestic title track Dream Evil, and epic metal number All the Fools Sailed Away. Ronnie and the band would look back on the album years later with indifference, lamenting the songwriting chemistry that was lost when Vivian Campbell was fired from the band. But the album is held in high regard by many fans for its strong songs and classic Dio sound. The album would rank rather high on many European album charts and even reached a number 43 on the US charts, the last Dio album to make as strong of a showing on the sales charts. All right, Darren, so uh, Dream Evil, what are your thoughts and uh, memories on this album? This is one that I didn't similar to when we talked about intermission this is one i didn't really uh, gravitate towards when it came out so i'd seen dio twice on sacred heart i saw him earlier in a tour with vivian and of course vivian in the dio band was was great he was there was good chemistry um uh, vivian had great stage presence his sound uh by this time, three albums in had become pretty much a staple of the Dio band. Um, so I, I I left that show pretty happy, pretty pretty content with with Dio. And even though I wasn't crazy about Sacred Heart, the show was good. Um, then the second time was when Chris uh, or uh, Craig Goldie came into the band, and I just wasn't really feeling a lot of chemistry on stage he sounded good his playing was good but it was just like the elephant in the room there was this guy on the side of the stage that just sort of felt like it just seemed as though he didn't belong and it was really hard to get as excited about the performance um with craig goldie as opposed to vivian campbell who was like a little bit more dynamic solos were more fiery and it's not to say that craig Goldie wasn't a good guitar player because he clearly was it's just that it was it wasn't the same um even the band seemed a little bit um kind of set apart from Goldie like 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 they were a little bit isolated by him um so that was kind of 
that was kind of strange that that whole situation, that whole dynamic in the live in the live setting. Uh, so, you know, naturally, when his first big studio album, Dream Evil, I wasn't really that excited about it. Um, so I didn't get it right away. And then to reinforce that, I heard the song um, I Could Have Been a Dreamer as the first single. And I, I wasn't crazy about it. It wasn't bad. It was a little sappy. Uh, I thought it was a little too sugar-coated. And um, it, it, didn't, it didn't pique my interest enough to, to buy the album. But uh, I guess maybe a year or so later, a friend of mine had it. And I was curious about it because enough time had passed and uh, there hadn't really been anything Dio related in my life for a while. So I was, I was anxious to, to get a little bit of Dio and I thought, well, what the hell, I'll check it out. I, I never gave it a chance. I, I just based, based it on the one song and that's not really fair. So uh, I borrowed his cassette and I listened to it and I, I liked it. I, I really liked it. Um, I was surprised. There's things about it that I like more than Sacred Heart. Uh, I think, in fact, I think overall, I like it more than Sacred Heart. I might even like it to this day more than The Last in Line. I would say that this is pretty essential. And I'm looking at the whole Dio discography and I'm, and I'm thinking that Dream Evil might be my second favorite Dio album as, as it stands today. Now, this is more or less a recent development, but the album still sounds really good. In fact, I, I, I think there's things that, that I'm, I'm drawn to more now than I was in the 80s or, or let's say probably the early 90s when, when I really gave it a, a thorough listen. Um, so I'm really positive about the album, um, more so than I, I, I think... I thought I was going to be. I revisited it recently and, you know, I, I like it even more. I, I, I think it's a really good album. There, there's some things that could pick apart. And as we go from song to song, like we normally do, I, I will. And I'm sure you probably will, too, because it's not a perfect album. But in spite of the fact that we had this significant line, lineup change and significant in it being the guitar player, which is such a, a prominent role in Dio band. Uh, in spite of that, it's, uh, it's, it's really good. And I don't think there was a lot of magic or chemistry musically that was lost in the transition. I, I think in some ways it, it may even be a little bit stronger. Maybe some of this um, uh, strife or struggle and the internal workings of the Dio machine kind of gave it more of a somber feel and I think that might have even played into the whole thing a little bit better than some of the sugar-coated things that were going on in Sacred Heart and, and maybe towards the end of Last in Line that it, it seemed like it, everything was on the up and up and, and when everything's going great <laughs> it's really hard to, to compose a, a perfect heavy metal album. I mean you, you need things to kind of be a little bit bleak i think to really get behind a heavy metal theme and the imagery and everything i think there has to be a little bit of struggle involved there has to be a little bit of strife uh, maybe things were going just a little bit too good in the do camp so i think this 
I think this album kind of gave things a bit of a kick in the ass for me. And um, so where I stand now, I'm really very fond of it. What do you think? Yeah, when uh, I remember being excited for it, uh, I was disappointed that Vivian had left. Uh, I, I, Vivian, I, I, I still love his playing. I, I loved it back then. And you know, I've mentioned this before on the podcast. When I was younger, I, I, I really wanted to, uh, I, I wanted my bands to stay together because it kind of felt like, you know, I was invested in them personally. So when bands, guys left bands, especially when it's a guitar player, the guitar player and the singer, especially during the 80s, you know, it was all about your lead singer and your your guitar player, you know, Ozzy, Randy Rhodes, Ozzy and Jake and, you know, Dio and Vivian. And uh, so I was really disappointed that, that uh, Vivian had left, but I was excited to see what was going to happen next. Uh, it was starting, you know, this is the point now where Sabbath is going through a lot of member changes and Ozzy is changing members in his band. And so it was, it was disappointing that, that Vivian had left, but I was excited and I kept an open mind for Dream Evil. And when I got it, uh, I remember really liking it. I remember liking uh, Craig's guitar playing but it kind of didn't have that special X factor that I thought Vivian Campbell had in his playing. Craig's lead tone to me was like not as smooth or something. It's a little bit harder on the ears to me than Vivian's was. And maybe that's some of his, just his kind of style, the way he played. Uh, so the, the guitar tone, I didn't quite like it as much as I did uh, Vivian's tone. I remember being uh, surprised by the keyboards in it. There's some pretty loud, prominent keyboards in some of the songs here, like the very, the opening track. The first thing you hear is, you know, some, some keyboard strikes. And uh, I didn't have a problem with that. I thought that was cool. It just did, you know, was something that I sort of noticed right away. But I thought the songs were really good. I did think Craig played well his guitar is all over the record he's kind of shredding and you know playing a lot in his solos and this is the era of the guitar shredder so that was a real important thing to have a guy that could sort of tear it up uh but like you mentioned it kind of just felt like some of the chemistry was was missing like it just didn't have quite the same feel that the three previous albums had for me and at the time, uh, I would have ranked Sacred Heart above Dream Evil just because I was so fond of the Vivian in the band. As time has gone on, I've learned to, I, I think it's, it's, it has swung now to Dream Evil for me because I think just from top to bottom, the songwriting is better. And as we go through some of these songs, we'll talk about it. I think there's some really fantastic songs on here. Uh, so I think the songwriting just across the whole record is really consistent. Uh, as I was revisiting this, I was really appreciating it, especially side two of, of the album. Uh, one thing I did notice, just as a, as a little aside, I, I was originally listening to it on streaming, which I believe has whatever the, whenever this album was first put on CD, so whatever version that is. And I, I went back to my vinyl the last couple of days, my original vinyl of it, and I was 
kind of surprised at how much warmer and how much better the vinyl sounds. Now, in general, I feel that vinyl sounds better, but this was really like, wow, it really, because one of the problems that I had with this album in the last so many years, mostly listening to it on CD or, you know, through streaming, was this, it was really kind of bright and uh, Craig's guitar sound was a little hard on the ears. Ronnie's vocals, uh, I don't know what is causing this, but on the CD, Ronnie's vocals distort. And to make sure I wasn't crazy, I even Googled it. And there was a lot of other people mentioning the same thing. But when I busted out my vinyl, I didn't notice that. And just the vinyl is way warmer, has a nice warmer low end to it. So it made me appreciate uh, the album even more. So for me, it's kind of, it's the last Dio album that I would buy when it came out. I would sort of, I wasn't very excited about Lock Up the Wolves and I didn't get Lock Up the Wolves till years after it had come out. Uh, so for me, this is kind of the an end of an era for me with Dio. And I think a lot of fans would even say that this is kind of the last album that has a classic early Dio sound to it. I know he kind of returned to that on Killing the Dragon, but for the most part, this is kind of the end of an era. And with all the members of the band, you know, except for Ronnie, of course, uh, leaving, you know, that was that was another thing that sort of signified the end of another chapter for the band. So yeah, early on, I was disappointed, still liked the three previous albums more than this. As time has gone on, I've come to appreciate it a lot more, especially the deeper cuts on this album. And uh, yeah, so it's it's an album that that I like to, I, I probably reach for this more than I do Holy Diver sometimes, just because I'm a little, you know, there's a little bit of that burnout factor with, with Holy Diver. I've heard some of those songs so many times. And, you know, as, as time would go on, Ronnie really wouldn't play anything from this this album. There wasn't really anything that stuck in the set list. So it's it's an album that I feel like I can kind of return to and not feel uh, burnt out on and and uh, find things to enjoy. Yeah, I think the production's really good on this. And it's unfortunate, you're right, that the CD doesn't, doesn't sound the same as the vinyl. Um, I was listening to the vinyl the other night and the bass is really thick. Um, yeah. There's a really good uh, separation between the instruments and there's a lot of clarity in the, I don't know if it's a difference in master from the original vinyl to whatever they did with the CD. I don't own it on CD. Um, I'm totally content with it on vinyl. And there's, I mean, I, I love the way it sounds. I, there's, there's no reason for me to go to any other medium, but um, yeah, I, I think it's probably one of the better productions for the Dio band to this point anyway and I, it, it really enhances my um enjoyment of the album when something sounds good i have a tendency to want to listen to it more yeah. uh, it doesn't matter how good the songs are it doesn't matter how uh great somebody's playing on it if it doesn't sound good i'm just not going to listen to it it, yeah. it you know that that's just the way i am with it but unfortunately you know this checks all the boxes i think the songs are great i think the performances are really good and overall the it sounds great on vinyl. Uh, so anyways, well, the main thing about the album is that we have a different guitar player. And he's, Craig Goldie is, is pretty, you could say profoundly different from, from Vivian Campbell. Um, and in some ways, he kind of brings a little bit of an L.A. vibe 
but also a bit of an English vibe too. And in, insofar as I think he sounds more like Blackmore, especially in some of the some of the riffs that are on this album. Yeah. Other times he kind of sounds like somebody that just came in off the Sunset Strip. I hear a lot of Eddie Van Halen. There's at least two songs that sound a lot like Eddie Van Halen, and that that's quite a a distance, you know, to go from Eddie Van Halen and Richie Blackmore and combine them into you know, songs on one album is kind of odd, uh, but it works. Um, the songs that sound more like Blackmore, I'm kind of like, okay, I, it's sort of treading familiar territory. Um, I like that Vivian had his own style. Um, it made the band a little bit more profound. It gave the band a little bit more purpose. The fact that some of Craig's riffs sound like Blackmore, a little bit true. Uh, a little bit too retro for me in a way, but the songs are good, so I can forgive that. Um, likewise, on the other end of the spectrum, when when Craig gets into this more LA flashy uh, Van Halen style, it almost seems like, in theory, it should clash with Dio, but it it doesn't for me, and that's kind of unusual because when the two things are together, when Dio is singing along with Craig's guitar on these particular songs, um, it sounds fine. The guitar by itself is like, wait a minute, is this a Dio album or is this, <laughs> this Women and Children First? I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> so that, that's, that's a little strange, but I mean, it, it, it's, it's a relatively minor gripe in the overall scheme of things. I, I, think, I, think, I, think they work, I think the two of them worked well together. I don't know why they had a falling out. They only did this one album. Uh, for a while anyway until he came back i think it was magica wasn't it yeah, the first magica album he came back on yeah. so they had a falling out and i don't think it's ever really been publicized as to why and if it has i i didn't come across it i think craig kind of just lets it go you know and just sort of let the past be the past and you know that just sort of the way that it is um but uh it, it's interesting to think of where things might have gone if they had done another album together, maybe things might have gelled a little bit better. But as it is, I, I think it, it gels about, you know, good as anybody could expect, really. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the band, uh, you know, seems to look back on this album with, like, it, like it was a sort of a difficult album to make. And considering they just came off of Sacred Heart, which was a difficult album to make, I, I really think that what, what and maybe this is what led to Craig's uh, departure from the band. And I've heard Jimmy Bain say this, I've heard Ronnie say this, that when Vivian was in the band, it was the writing process was or, really organic. The band was in the room, the guys were jamming on riffs. Uh, everybody was there together, throwing their things in. And Ronnie would be in the room with, in the corner with his notebook and would jump up on the mic and throw some melody lines in it. So it was a very kind of spontaneous, everybody in the room, it just all happening together. Uh, from what I've read, when Craig joined the band, he didn't write like that. He was more of a, I got to go home and you know, work on it, think about it. I'll bring some riffs in tomorrow. You know, there wasn't as much stuff done in the rehearsal room as it was with Vivian. And I think all the guys missed that, you know, uh, to a degree. And you're right, it is strange. I've read very little about why Craig left the band at this time. And I, I do have a 
remember reading rather recently, I couldn't find it because I wanted to give the exact quote, but it was Dio just basically saying something like, you know, uh, Greg and I just realized we needed to go separate ways or something. He was pretty vague yeah. and everything, but I can't help but think that it might've had something to do with sort of that, that songwriting thing that the guys kind of felt like, you know, there wasn't that, well, it wasn't that chemistry, which is weird because it feels like the album, you know, I think it's a stronger album than Sacred Heart. I think it feels like there is more songwriting chemistry on this album than there was on on Sacred Heart. Whereas, you know, there's some songs on Sacred Heart. We discussed that album that it feels like it's sort of running out of gas towards the end of that record. Uh, so it's kind of strange for them to say that. Uh, but you know, it seems like it, it, it worked on here, but, you know, whatever process they used to, to make this this album seemed to work. But, uh, you know, I guess for whatever reason, and maybe, you know, by this point, Jimmy Bain, Vinny Apice, Claude Schnell, they've been in the band, especially Vinny and Jimmy have been in the band since the beginning. So, you know, and, and, and I, I think the trajectory of the band, it was starting to level off and starting to... Uh, you know, it wasn't on the upward rise that it was from the beginning there, Holy Diver, and then Last in Line was even bigger than that, and then Sacred Heart, you know, and so I think maybe it was starting to level off a little bit, and maybe they sensed that, you know, I don't know, but. Uh, well, I think primarily, it, it, the, the impression I, I get is a little bit different from from way you described. I, I, I never got the impression that it was a collective effort. The writing was pretty much presented, or it was at least started by Jimmy. Jimmy and Dio and Vivian. Um, Jimmy wasn't happy about Vivian not being in the band anymore. And he sort of like basically withdrew creatively, um, maybe out of protest, maybe out of the fact that it just didn't feel right, that the chemistry wasn't there anymore. So he kind of withdrew from the writing process as well. And Dio references that um, in his book. And he says that once he got kind of basically the thumbs down from Jimmy, he looked at Craig and said, okay, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> so it was Craig's time to, to basically, you know, kick some riffs around and, and, and Dio would say, yeah, that's a riff. And then the two of them would, would set about putting the songs together. And then, you know, Jimmy would contribute here and there. He does get writing credit, um, but it was—it wasn't just a Jimmy. It was—it was Vinny. Vinny too wasn't into the band at this point. Um, it seemed like there was a real division here. It was Jimmy and and Vinny, right. on one side of, the, and it was Craig and Dio on the other side. And Craig and Dio were on a mission to put this thing together to make it work. And I—I I don't think it was a lot of effort. I think they they worked well together um, and they did have some experience because so Craig was in Rough Cut. And Randy, Wendy was managing Rough Cut. Rough Cut were an L.A. band and Craig's Craig was Jake's replacement, Jakey Lee. Jakey Lee joined Ozzy's band. He, he did audition for Dio's band. Dio passed on him and then he went to Rough Cut and they left Rough Cut to join. They played with Rough Cut for a little while, but then he he left rough cut to, to join Ozzy's band. And so Craig was Jake's replacement. And now because of the relationship between Ronnie and Wendy, Wendy was the manager. She was branching out as a, as a 
rock manager. She not only managed Ronnie, but she was also managing Rough Cut. And so because of their familiarity, she would call on Ronnie to help them with some of the writing occasionally, sometimes doing a little bit of producing. But at this point, it was mostly just demos. But Ronnie did have some co-writing credits on some songs, actually, that even made it to the, to the first album um, that, that didn't have Craig on. It was uh, one of the songs was "Take Her," which I think is the, is the first song on on the debut album on Warner Brothers. But anyway, before that even came out, Ronnie had been working with Craig, and they were uh, Ronnie was in the studio recording some demos. He was doing a little bit of writing, so there was there was that they had that familiarity, and then they 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 knew that they could work together, and, and they did. And but unfortunately, that that kind of alienated Jimmy and and Vinny, and. Uh, I'm not so sure that's completely a bad thing because I think the proof is in the pudding. I, I think, you know, if that's the worst that came out of it, listening to the album, it really wasn't that significant. I mean, there is a marked difference in the way that the album sounds. We've already talked about that a little bit. Um, but I mean, the way the things ended up, it's a great album. And, and maybe in some ways um, it needed to have somewhat of a, of a prof, more profound difference in attitude and in vibe and emotionally I, I think that it would only be natural for a significant lineup change to reflect a different musical feeling and an attitude and an expression and I think this album does that so I think it, it follows logically where it should um, it's not just uh, a cut and paste you know uh, kind of a synthetic uh, we'll just paint by the numbers and we know how to write a deal album we know that we have to incorporate these kind of lyrics and we know we have to have these kind of song structures and we've got it down to a formula we have it down to a science we know how to do this uh craig i'm going to need you to sound a little bit more like vivian so we can keep that thing going that we did for the first three albums there wasn't any of that this was an album that was that was built basically from the ground up and i appreciate that about this album and it's probably one of the reasons why I think I, I do have a tendency to gravitate more toward it now than I than I do Sacred Heart and and probably even Last in Line. Last in Line is a great album, but there is a little bit of a burnout factor. But I'm also getting more of a rawness, more of a sincerity from from Dream Evil. And it could also be that I've just listened to it a whole lot less um, than the previous three albums, but. Um, I, I do appreciate the, um, the, the sincerity of the album and knowing the situation that was taking place in the writing process and everything, uh, it only helps to kind of enhance my feeling toward it. So I think everything just kind of lands in the right place for me with this album. And as we go from song to song, there's some really sincere, good lyrical things. It's not anything that's too removed from what Dio had written before, but I think it just, it happens in a way that just feels a little bit more realistic. Um, and as we get into these songs, I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit more on that, but um, yeah, so that's where I am. I think that, uh, you know, like you mentioned, I think that Vivian's absence was felt most strongly by, by Jimmy and Vinny and Jimmy is sort of the, underrated uh, part of the songwriting process in the in the early Dio band. And I think we've talked about this before on here that uh, 
when you listen to the band, the last in line with Vivian, uh, Vinny, and when Jimmy was in the band, it's it's easy to hear did oh yeah man you know these guys they had something they had something special going on so yeah it's kind of strange that this this album uh because a lot of fans really like this record for some people this is you know this this is their favorite deal album That's and it, so it's it's kind of surprising that it, it, none of these songs seem to stick and stuck in the you know in the in the do set lists or anything it was kind of you know i won't say quickly forgotten, but it, it kind of was. But then again, really, you know, when when people are discussing Dio and his catalog, it seems like everything just revolves around Holy Diver and Last in Line, which is a bit unfair because there's there's other there's other albums after that. I mean, we on our on my YouTube channel, we did our uh, Sabbath Sunday uh, discussing the Dreamers Never Die movie and how, you know, we were a little disappointed that they just basically the dream evil gets just a very brief you know mention they don't even really get into dream evil at all which is a shame because it's you know i think that there is a lot of strong strong stuff on yeah. this album. and you know yeah. often artists when when something doesn't you know maybe it's a bit of a struggle for them to make a record we talked about this with technical ecstasy and never say die for them, they get something in their heads like, oh, you know, this this album, it, it took a little extra effort or it felt different. So therefore, you know, they don't like it as much or something or they have different feelings about it. Yet the end product is still really strong. And I think that that's the, you know, that's the case here, that it's it, that it is a really strong pro uh, product, even though the dynamic between the band might have changed. Uh, it's still a good album. And uh you know, it does take the band. I, I agree with you about the lyrics. I think that the Dio is starting to move himself away from some of the stuff that he was doing, like singing about lyrics, like in Rainbow and maybe the the first first few Dio albums. Uh, and Craig brings a different flair in here. You know, uh, uh, Vivian Vivian had his own sound, which is a little bit more of like a Gary Moore type of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. his playing and Craig you can really hear the Richie Blackmore influences there and also the modern sort of LA uh, Eddie Van Halen sound so yeah I, I think Vivian kind of brought in a new wave of British heavy metal I mean that's yeah. part of the movement that, that that's the movement that he was a part of with Sweep Savage so um, he brought that in and it was it was a good fit I mean that's pretty much where I and mean, if you had to pick a place for, for Dio to be, for him to use as a springboard, something current, something contemporary, that, that's a perfect place for him to be. Um, and it worked um, up to a point. And unfortunately, um, it was the thing that ended it was, of course, you know, finances. It wasn't really that they didn't get along or there was a breakdown in uh, creative uh, agreement. It, it was just business and, and that's unfortunate because i mean you think of it like wow what could they have done um if they had continued to work together but i mean basically where things landed on um sacred heart um i, I you know i in retrospect i, I kind of think things maybe benefited from the change um yeah, yeah it was know. obvious that it was time that 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 lineup was 
was running out of inspiration. I mean, maybe something could have changed it, obviously, if some of the financial things had been straightened out, you know, maybe that would, yeah. that would have changed yeah. it. Maybe if the band had taken some time off, we discussed this with Intermission, a well, well-placed double live album to give the band a little bit of a break from the touring and everything, you know, maybe that and the financial stuff could have helped straighten it out, but who knows, you know, as it, as it stands here, you know, it's kind of a fresh start for the Dio band and uh, it's a strong showing. I think whatever Dio does, he's always going to bring something great into it. Um, it, it certainly when he works with certain people, the songs are great. Maybe in some ways you could say that they might be better but they're never bad. <laughs> you only really need Dio to bring ideas to the table. And you could usually bank on the fact that he's going to work with people that he's going to be able to collaborate with. And while it's different, sounds different from what he had done with, well, not that Jimmy and, and Vinny weren't there anymore, but they, they kind of weren't. But where he is with, with Craig, I think, brings an inter interesting dynamic and an interesting creative vibe to, to this record and to the band. And I mean, I guess you could probably even argue that there should probably be like a reboot or, or something like every two or three albums to kind of like not dwell in the same creative pool because you're going to run out of ideas or you're going to get to a point where you start ripping off yourself. If you could just bring some element that something from the outside that kind of energizes things or creates some sort of a, a different kind of an influence, I, I think you're going to benefit from that. And it's kind of unfortunate because usually when things like that happen there, it's not good. <laughs> you know, like, like you said, you always want your bands to stay together. I mean, so why, I mean, you get, you know, it's like a team, you know, you, yeah. all the guys are important. They're all part of the team. And then when somebody's missing, your first reaction is going to be, oh, this isn't going to be any good. And you have to give it a chance. And sometimes it's hard if you really made some kind of a personal investment in, in, in liking the musician's personality or the way that they play. It, it, it's sometimes it's difficult to accept someone else. And I, I know I've kind of turned myself off from certain bands because I, I wasn't feeling the lineup. Motorhead was really difficult for me to get into the Brian Robertson album, but I love it. Um, it's so different from Fast Eddie Clark. And that's an example of what somebody way outside the box, way outside the box in the case of Brian Robertson can bring into a band and integrate with somebody else that was a mainstay of the writing force before that being Lemming. But not to get, but I digress. I'm <laughs> getting in a motorhead. But I'm just saying that I, I, I think sometimes, the, depending on where things are at the time, it, it might be necessary to kind of like reevaluate the situation. And if you can do that with all the same members, fantastic. But sometimes you can't. And, you know, in this case, it wasn't because of creative differences, it was because of financial things going on but regardless I, I think creatively things sort of benefited from from what happened yeah and I, I never really thought of this but and hey as much as I love Vinny and and Jimmy you know maybe if he had replaced the whole band uh, maybe the band would have stuck together longer because I think Vinny and Jimmy you know they 
they had already been in this for a few years. So maybe they were feeling a little bit of the, the fatigue and the burnout of the whole thing and missing Vivian and that, that chemistry. Whereas if it was a whole new band, they would have had, you know, Craig comes into it, the new guy, he's super excited. He has a lot of energy. Yeah. Whereas the other guys are like, oh man, we've been, you know, we've been at this for so long now and now changing the band and all guitarists and all this. So maybe if it was a totally fresh band and it was all guys with, with a lot of young energy. And that's the thing about Dio is that, uh, about Ronnie, that, you know, he, he's, I mean, every singer is, is rely. I mean, every band member is reliant on the other guys in the band. That's what makes the sound of the band. But Ronnie is unique because he's, he's such a talented musician. He's, he's a, he can play guitar. He played bass in the early days with his, his bands. So he's kind of self-sufficient. He can write on his own, uh, you know, from uh, Don't Talk to Strangers and Holy Diver were written by Ronnie before any, him and Vinny together before anybody else had even come into the band. And Ronnie produced this, this album. He produced uh, Dream Evil. So Ronnie can direct things, you know, he's, 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 and at this point, he's very experienced. He's been in Rainbow. He's been in Black Sabbath. He has three albums under his belt with his own solo band. So he's certainly in a position where he can take a young talent. And he did this, in my opinion, with Vivian. He took a young, raw uh, kind of player and sort of molded him into, you know, a, an arena real ready uh multi-platinum selling uh guitar guy on a guitar player on you know these these big albums and and i think for craig too he was maybe this tutelage with craig probably did start even before craig was in the band like you mentioned with the rough cut and and you know ronnie and him did have a relationship and i've heard craig talk about how before he was even in the do band ronnie would play songs for him and ask him things. Hey, you know, what do you think of this and that and everything? So they had sort of this relationship and maybe he was sort of, you know, setting him up like that. And Craig came into the band, a huge rainbow fan, a huge Ronnie fan. So he was, you know, ready to, I'm sure he was just, his ears were wide open. He was just a sponge taking it all in, you know, willing to take instructions and, and go along with it. So, you know, that's the unique thing about Ronnie that he's, he's very experienced by this point and he's very, he's just a very well-rounded capable musician where somebody like Ozzy is way more dependent on the musicians in his band to help him with the songwriting, the producers to help with the direction of it. Ronnie is a little bit more self-sufficient in that respect. I also think that Ronnie likes to be in a situation where he plays a dominant role in the songwriting. Um, if you look at the guitar player, so we've had Vivian Campbell, who exactly the way that you just described it, takes him from basic obscurity, even though he was in a band and they, there was, you know, they were relatively kind of well-known and around their area, part of the, you know, the new wave of British heavy metal, as we talked about a little earlier. Um, he did the same thing with, with Craig. Uh, you know, Craig talks about how he went from playing clubs and sometimes being the opening act in a club situation to now playing on a stage that was like a city block. Yeah. <laughs> he went from, from, from the club to the arena. And, um, and I think Ronnie kind of liked that. And after Craig, you know, moved forward, we've got Rowan Robertson, that was yeah. the guy, even younger than 
uh, I think Vivian was 19, I think, when he joined. Rowan yeah. Robertson was like 16 or 17. Yeah, yeah. So Ronnie was sort of like a musical pedophile, if you will. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, and one of the reasons I think that he kind of liked being in that situation was because he was used to somebody like a black Richie Blackmore or a Tony Iommi yeah. who were like, basically like looking over and saying yeah now basically having the final say ronnie has the final say ronnie has the final say not just because of his experience his age um in these factors involved gave him the upper edge and which is fine because ronnie had a very clear distinct idea of what he wanted to do how he wanted to do it and he just looked needed people musicians to support that and these younger guys they did that and they benefited a lot from it. I mean, they, I'm sure they learned a lot from Ronnie. They had some great experiences along the way. Um, I don't know that Vivian really did anything. I don't think he, do you remember Vivian? Yeah, actually he was in a few bands, but it was kind of like understated. Um, I, I came across something recently. I don't remember the name of the band, but it was something that Vivian did post, post Dio, but it wasn't. Uh, River, River Dogs? Yeah, I think, yeah that, I think that's it. It's yeah, okay. that was kind of like the first thing he did after he left Ronnie's band. And that was more of like a, kind of just a straight up kind of rock. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't very edgy or wasn't heavy. Yeah. So, I mean, he, yeah, he didn't parlay his time in Dio into anything, anything great. And maybe, you know, it could have been because he was, maybe he was disenchanted with the, uh, the business side of things well because then he became a hired gun you know he was in the snake briefly and then of course then he landed up in uh def leopard much later yeah yeah wasn't he a white snake for a little while too yeah yeah white snake he did that river dogs thing and then he moved i think he was originally producing the river dogs record and then he landed up playing on it and then yeah and then he was in white snake when white snake was what what's the big album with still all the night and it was just self-titled uh yeah was, he didn't play on that um he didn't play on it but he was on that tour he was in the videos i think he was yeah so maybe was maybe he was that he was in white Snake. was he i thought it was after that um maybe i i think i think the band on that album was um john sykes John Sykes played. Oh yeah, nobody that's in the video for those songs. Yeah, but I don't think. Yeah, yeah, but I don't. I don't think Vivian was even in the video. I think it was Adrian Bandenberg, um, maybe John Sykes. But I, I think Vivian came into it like maybe after Slip of the Tongue. Is that the name of the album where they did that horrible remake of uh, Fool for Your Loving, or was that Steve Vai? I don't know. Yeah. But it was well after White Snake was what I would consider to be good, <laughs> or you know, vital in this grand scheme of things. But anyway, um, yeah, so I think basically that dynamic served Ronnie pretty well. And likewise, I think it served the young guitar players, the young musicians that were basically serving as an apprentice to, to Ronnie. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's... Uh... Let's jump into the uh, let's jump into the album then. Let's take a look at some of the songs, some of the songs on the album. So the album starts with uh, "Night People." So this is sort of a classic now at this point that every Dio album up to this point, you know, opens up with a fast one, and that's the case here. I mentioned the uh, 
I mentioned the keyboards here. Keyboards playing a more dominant role in general on this on this whole record. Uh, and I remember, I think it's in uh, Ronnie's book where he mentions this, that Claude was getting ready to leave the band and uh, Ronnie sort of talked him into staying and told him, hey, you know, we'll give the keyboards more of a place on this on this record and we'll move you to a better spot yeah. on the stage. So, uh, you know, this starts off with those keyboard stabs and then the song kicks in and it's a fast one. You know, it's a good... I remember thinking like, wow, you know, here's the new guitar player. He's definitely here because he's sort of shredding all over this one. He's got a pretty aggressive solo in the middle of the song. And then I believe as the song's fading out, he's sort of uh, going off. So so it's a cool it's a cool one. I like the way uh, the song sort of stops in the chorus and he just does the night people, you know, and then the band comes uh, slamming back in. So it's a cool album opener. Yeah, it's a driving song. A good album opener um it's not bad it's not uh as great as some of the previous album openers king of rock and roll or we rock or uh, stand up and shout but it kind of serves the same sort of vibe and it, it works as an album opener but before we even get into that um actually that's pretty much all i have to say about my people but i want to look at the album cover the album cover is really cool um and if you notice it has the little, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, I guess an elf that was on the first elf album standing at the foot of the bed. So okay. It was kind of like a callback to Ronnie's, Ronnie's past. I don't, I'm not sure why that was there. It's in a prominent place on the album cover too. So it's not like it's like buried. It's like a, an Easter egg somewhere. I mean, it, it's right there. Um, Murray, the, the demon peeking in through the window as the as the child and the bed is like having a nightmare or the the dream evil which i guess is yeah. what this is all about here and things coming out from under the bed some lovecraftian tentacle thing here and, uh the horns a hand with the horns and a rat or some kind of a, a thing lots more snakes and stuff but the uh Murray with his hands crossed doing the uh, devil sign, I guess you, I guess you could say in the window is the focal point of the album cover as it puts Murray right in the center of the album. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. Um, Cause I don't, Murray wasn't on uh, sacred heart. Was he? I don't have the album cover right now. No, it was a dragon. Yeah. Here we are. Murray's back again. And that's pretty cool. Um, of course, on the back, you have the clown with the knife, which that became uh, the center point, the focal point for the T-shirt that they put out on that tour. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Night People, good way to start the album. Gets things uh, gets things off and running. Uh, gives you a good taste of uh, what Craig's going to bring to the table. Pretty cool riff, nice soloing. Yeah, pretty much it. All right, next is the title track, Dream Evil. And this is another tradition on a DO record. This for the second song up to this point to always be the title track. And uh, the main riff for me always kind of sound, you know, we talked about the Richie Blackmore influence here. This main riff to me always kind of, I never really liked this main riff that much. It, it, it sounds too much like it's trying to copy Man on the Silver Mountain. It's got that same kind of, 
you know, he's playing the chords. Yeah, he's playing the chords kind of, you know, Blackmore has this unique way of playing yeah. guitar chords. He doesn't play straight up power chords like most people do. He plays what are called fourths. He just sort of plays two notes at a time. And uh, Craig's sort of doing that here with this main riff. And I never really cared for this main riff. Uh, I, I like the lyrics. I like the melody line and everything about it, but it's just sort of the main riff is a little bit sluggish for me or something. So it's a little bit of a disappointment because usually uh, Dio title tracks are the, are the big number on the record, Holy Diver, Last in Line, Sacred Heart. So this one for me is probably my least favorite of the title tracks up to this point, but st still a cool song. And I, and I do like the, uh, the chorus of it. And I, I kind of like the, the play on it here, you know, dream evil. I think it's a pretty cool uh, word. Yeah. There. I agree. I think it's probably my least favorite of the title tracks. It's not a bad song, but you're right. I mean, it's almost like pretty much the same riff as man on the silver mountain as interpreted by Craig Goldie, but supposedly Ronnie really liked it. And that's why it's on here. One thing that bothers me is I don't like like the keyboards in this song. I don't like the keyboards backing up. The keyboards are all throughout. It isn't as though they kind of fade back a little bit and they come out and they fade back again. It's like they're there. It seems like they are a constant. While the riff is playing, it starts off and it's just it, it a little bit too placed too important of a role in the song and i think that the song would be much better served if it were more guitar guitar oriented a little less keyboard um, but like you said i mean i think one of the things that he promised claude or dangled in front of claude was that he would have more of an involvement with the band and the writing and stuff and i think claude was, was going to go to join foreigner he had an offer from foreigner yeah, so he had yeah. to talk about it doing that so i mean the offer had to be pretty pretty good and and so there he is, Claude Schnell, uh, dominating a lot of Green Evil. Maybe too much <laughs> yeah. for me, but uh, yeah, it's not a bad song. It's okay. All right, the next is uh, Sunset Superman. I always thought this was a great song title, you know, maybe a play on uh, the Donovan song. What was it, Donovan? Sunrise Superman, I think, was the Donovan yeah. song. So yeah. this is kind of cool. I like sort of the, you know, the, 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 the downer aspect of this sunset Superman. And I, I like, uh, I always liked when the song sort of drops down and it's just the drums sort of pounding away and, and Ronnie singing the sunset Superman, you know, lying over the top of that. I always thought that was uh, pretty cool. So uh, yeah, cool one, mid-tempo. Uh, yeah. I'm not crazy about this song. There's nothing wrong with it. It, but it to me, it's more like filler. I'm so anxious now that you know. Once I had the whole album, once I played through the entire album, um, and you're listening to it song by song, <clears throat> and you're figuring out whether or not you like the songs as you go along. Anytime after the first time I played the album, once I got to all the fools sailed away, I just wanted to get through Sunset Superman. If I didn't drop the needle right on, <laughs> sailed away. If I'm listening to it from start for all of side one i i was kind of like okay hurry up hurry up hurry up sunset superman i get it i get it i get it let's go come on you know it's, it's kind of the thing it's almost like it's a warm-up before you get into the really good probably the the, the best song on the album and from this point on there, there there's some great songs we talked about like up to this point my overall attitude towards these songs is like eh, 
they're, I mean, they're okay. They're not bad, you know, but things are, the best is yet to come. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and start with all the full sailed away. If you don't I want to move one more thought on a Sunset Superman. I do like the way the verse is fast and then the chorus sort of drops down. You know, usually the chorus is more uplifting in most songs. You want it to feel like it's lifting up. But in Sunset Superman, it feels like it like it drops down. The whole mood of the whole thing drops. But I agree with you. The next song, uh, All the Fools Sailed Away, uh, definitely my favorite song on this record. Top 10 Dio song for me. Completely epic. Uh, love the melody line in it. I love when Ronnie sings soft and gentle and then breaks into his big voice. This should have been... I would have swapped Sunset Super. I would have put all the full sail away at number three. Uh, this has the feel of what maybe the title track should have felt like. You know what I mean? This is the big number on the record. It's epic. Uh, the keyboards up to this point, I could kind of give or take or leave them. But I actually think the keyboard solo that, that Claude does in this is, is really cool and really adds to the atmosphere of it. Uh, it's just a fantastic song. It builds really, really well. I remember the video for it is really cool. Uh, love Ronnie's delivery in this. Love love the lyrics in this. I, I just love the imagery that he's painting in all this. Top 10 Dio song for me. Favorite song on the record for sure. So anyway, yeah, I mean, uh, All the Fools Sailed Away. It was like, couldn't wait to get through Sunset Superman to get into All the Fools Sailed Away. It's... Um, for me it's the most important song on the album and i think that if nothing else i think it might even be more relevant now than it than it, than it was then it's almost as though the song was written for the future because now that dio is no longer with us some of these lyrics some of these lines really really resonate for me um and and, and i think maybe at this point in time talking about lyrically there I, I don't remember exactly, but I know that basically there was this bands like Dio, I think weren't really as much in demand at things at, at 1987, things were really into the, the hair glam thing, really moving in that direction, or it was moving in the opposite direction when you had more extreme metal like Anthrax is really popular and Slayer and Metallica, some of the more extreme metal was, was trending. Not that that term really had any relevance <laughs> back then in, in the late eighties, but to, to use, use a word that kind of defines that sort of situation going on, that stuff was trending. And on the other end, for people that maybe weren't into the more aggressive stuff. There was this whole like cats and boots and dangerous toys and guns and roses and stuff. Guns and roses kind of spearheaded this whole thing from my memory and, and took things into like, that's when I think the hair thing really started to explode. And so Dio, who wasn't really a part of that, was kind of like just there. I mean, your basic standard hard yeah. rock metal, uh, traditional sounding band was kind of like maybe not not as interesting as some of the other things on either side of the spectrum but i, I think some of these these lines and, and, and maybe like i said there was an awareness of that like you know at some point the people like us the classic heavy metal the classic hard rock the icons are going to go away and you're not going to have what we bring anymore 
You know, we bring you fantasy. We bring you pain. It's your one great chance for a miracle or we will disappear, never to be seen again. It's kind of like where we are now. It's like all of our heroes are starting to fade away. They're starting to get old and, and, and they're, they're not active anymore. There are some of them have, have passed away. And it's like when I when I listen to the song now, it has such a deeper meaning. And it, it, it's, it's actually pretty emotional in a way because it just it goes on and it, it, it sounds so sincere the way he's singing. He's just putting his heart and soul into it. We bring you beautiful. We teach you sin. We can give you a piece of the universe or we will disappear never to return again. It's like you have to appreciate yeah. what this music is and who these people are. We talk about like, you know, Dio and we always take for granted. I mean, I, I know I always kind of took for granted. I figured I don't have to. I'm not really into the new Dio sound. Or I'm not really into the new Dio record or uh, my interests are a little bit more along the lines of this other thing. And you kind of take things for granted or you just assume that these these people are, are always going to be there because you haven't really experienced the loss of like an iconic uh, musician yet. But definitely it was, it was quite a blow when, when Dio passed away. And, and now that he's gone and, and, and you read lyrics like this, it's like he was aware that, you know, at some point all this is going to go away. And, and these are the people that, that, you know, even with Dio's lyrics, and I, I talked about some of them being sugar-coated, there were some feel-good songs, Hungry for Heaven or, rock and roll children yeah. the last in line it was like a call to arms it was it was it was strength for 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 young people to to know that even though maybe they might have a, come from a broken home or something like that this music was something that really gave them hope and gave them a lot of strength and, and maybe even held them together through some of the bad times and this song kind of addresses that you know we are the people that give you these things. We, we don't take it for granted because one day it may be gone. And I, I kind of like, I feel sorry for generations moving forward that, that didn't grow up with this music, that didn't have this in their background, you know? And that's why the, this song is always, it's always been a great song. I've always liked the song, but now it's moved into the area where it's like kind of soul stirring and it's emotional. And the lyrics are just, just really, fantastic yeah this in the is, way that he kind of his voice kind of trails off at the end and he just it almost kind of oh and when the chorus comes in and the, the chorus is really strong but at the end when it when when there's more voices and it just sounds like it, it just gives it i mean i still get goosebumps hearing that yeah. it's like all the fools sailed away it's like all the people that that thought oh you know this this music isn't important or i, I like that at one time but i've grown out of it or my life doesn't have any this doesn't have any place in my life anymore those are the fools and they've all sailed away but here we are you know and you and i we're in our 50s and we're still talking about this we're still recanting experiences from when we were kids i mean it's made such a huge impression on us and this song is this testament to that and from 1987 until now i mean it has not lost any of its weight or significance um amazing song it's a beautiful song yeah, some of Dio's best lyrics here, his wordplay and sort of the imagery that he ev evokes. And uh, I've always been a sucker for this image of the ocean and the sea and things like that. And uh, and he does at the end of the song here, something that I always love. He does this very often where a song is fading out and he'll throw in this sort of tag line, like just one or two lines as the song is 
is going out. And here it's just absolutely one of my favorites right up there with uh, eight miles high about to fall from sign of the Southern Cross. When he's when he says that line, they say you're beautiful and they'll always let you in. But doors are never open to the child without a trace of sin sail away. I, I got to shiver up my spine. Just saying it, yeah. he, the way he delivers that line is just so fantastic as the song yeah. just sort of sails away and sort of fades out. It's a perfect, you know, song for, for a fade out. So just absolutely epic song. And, to, and to, I think the band knew it too. Uh, the lyrics, the lyrics weren't printed on the inner sleeve, except for the lyrics to this song, which take up all of one side of the inner sleeve here. And it's, you know, they're written out in this very ornate uh, font and everything. So I think that they knew that this was the epic sort of centerpiece of the, uh, of the album. And if, if the, uh, you know, to call the album all the full sail the way was, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been a great album title, but it, it's, oh. it's definitely, I think, you know, it is the, for me. It's the centerpiece of the uh, of the record. So yeah, yeah. It's sort of like the uh, sign of the Southern Cross or Children of the Sea or or Last in Line. But in some ways, I I, I get more I get more of a, of a of a feeling from this that just um, resonates a little bit more for me. I, I can connect with it. I can especially connect with it now. I, I think it's I think it's totally relevant. Um, and it's not one of those songs where it so much takes you back to when you first heard it. Um, it does, but it also just reminds you of the last time you heard it. And, you know, and I, I listen to it a lot. It, it's one of the Dio songs. And sometimes when I'm driving around, I'll just rather than listen, I, I feel like listening to Dio, I'll just shuffle, just put in artists and shuffle Dio songs. And when this comes up, I mean, it's it, when this comes on, it's got to be turned up. And it, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's a it's a powerful song. So. All right, uh, so that closes out side one of the original album, and side two opens with "Naked in the Rain." Um, kind of a mid-tempo one. Dio is pretty good at this uh, this tempo here. It's not slow. It's not fast. Uh, I like the chorus in this. I do like the uh, lyrics in it. Are we just shouting at the pain, or do we see just what we are? We're naked in the rain. Uh, so yeah, a, a a good way to start off side two. Coming off of coming off of the emotional, how emotional all the full sailed away is. It, it 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 feels like kind of a nice way to start side two. It's 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 not an aggressive song. It's not a slow song. It's it's just kind of a right there in the middle type of song. It's got a nice feel to it. It's got a nice main riff. It's got a nice chorus to it. So nice way to start side two. Yeah, it's a good opener for side two. Uh, Craig Goldie kind of channeling Blackmore once again. Uh, it's a good song. It, it's not one that I would consider a highlight. I'm moving into side two now. I mean, there are there's a couple songs here that I would consider, and yeah, at least two songs that I would consider highlights of the album. And this isn't one of them, but it's a good way to kick off side two. It's not a bad song. So I, I like it enough. All right, the next is Over Love. Uh, we were talking about Eddie Van Halen. The intro to this song definitely makes me think of Eddie Van Halen, this like finger-picked kind of yeah, blues um, riff with a clean guitar tone that he plays at the beginning. Uh, it's it's fast. Uh, I got to say, this is not, I, I never really liked this song. I, I kind of, I don't like the chorus in it. 
I don't like uh, the sort of bluesy. I mean, not that Vivian Campbell wasn't a blues-based player. I mean, we talked about, you know, him and his main influence being Gary Moore, who's one of the greatest, you know, rock and blues guitar players out there. But this to me is just a little too much. It's a little too much Van Halen sounding. I don't know. I just, this, this is not my favorite song on the record. I just, it's, it's fast, but it's almost a little bit too fast. It's a little frantic uh, for me. And uh I don't know. I just said uh, the lyrics don't really do anything for me. It's it might be my least favorite song on the record. It's my least favorite song on the record. Um, it sounds like um, Dio's version of Hot for Teacher. <laughs> or, yeah. Right. Know. It's kind of picked that same. <laughs> what do you think the teacher's going to look like this year? What do you think the teacher's going to look like this year? <laughs> Dio voice. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of foreign to it's not only foreign to this album but it's kind of foreign to the overall Dio vibe um it's hard to it's hard for me to say that I don't like it uh, I do but I do think that I would like to switch with a sequence of this album I think this would sound a lot better at the end of side two switch it with when a woman cries uh, they're both songs that have a Van Halen vibe to it very much so but I would rather hear the Van Halen vibe of when a woman cries in place of over love and the overall tempo of over love, I think would be better like to wind out or kick off, you know, side two. I just, I kind of like that, that energy for the, for the last song on side two. I think that would work better, but um, where it is, I mean, certainly if you're going to put it any place, I mean, it can't be one of the first songs on either side one or side two. So, either the second song or the i would prefer it to be the last song but there it is and um it ushers in i could have been a dreamer which is the first song that i heard um, from this album it didn't really sell me on the album i thought it kind of going through the motions of something that i had already heard previously on on sacred heart it kind of readdressed that sort of emotional feeling and it kind of seemed a little bit insincere it could have been a dreamer we get it he was a dreamer i know you said it a whole bunch of times um so i didn't really connect with that lyrically or even the music itself didn't really do a lot for me it's a good song i mean it does have sort of an emotional content to it um it's kind of like one of those you know dio songs that like i said are in a tradition of like maybe like a little bit of a last in line it, it kind of checks that box yeah um but because it's familiar it, it seems a little less sincere than say something as as amazing as all the fools sail away that just that just steals the album um could have been a dreamer just seemed sort of by the numbers dio song for me anyway yeah i always appreciate ronnie when he's when he's sort of in this positive mode uh you know uplifting uh thing but it does kind of feel like he's getting the band and he's getting to a point where he's starting to retread certain things you know we get another rainbow reference the the word rainbow i've heard about a rainbow i've heard it makes you crazy and I remember, you know, when I first heard this song, it was one of those ones, it was kind of like, it was a little too, uh, you know, I wasn't really sure what they were going for. The chorus is, is a little bit too happy for me or something. And 
you know, I don't know. It's just in, in this tempo. This tempo is something that uh, even though he does it on Naked in the Rain, uh, this sort of tempo, not fast, not slow, kind of right in the middle, is something that he would do too much of going forward from here. And I do like this. It's, you know, the chorus. I, I mean, I guess it's a good chorus. It sticks in your head and everything. It's just, it's a little bit too happy sounding for me. And it does kind of feel like he's sort of treading on familiar to rehashing familiar uh lyrical themes that he's that he's done before and it is starting to get a little bit stale uh although the uh dio the dio documentary did get its line you know he does say the line in here dreamers never die mm -hmm. so um you know but uh you know as it stands not not a bad song just it's kind of mid-tempo we just had a mid-tempo song before this naked in the rain and this one just the chorus for me is just a little too i don't know just doesn't work for me yeah yeah that's where i am it, it just sort of plods along yeah all right then uh second to last song on side two faces in the window uh it's a cool one maybe kind of a deep cut on this record mm -hmm. i kind of forgotten about this one as i was revisiting this record, I was like, yeah, you know, this is this is kind of a cool one, uh, upbeat. Uh, I like the sort of vibe of it. Uh, always made me think of the album cover, Murray, and the in the window pane there that it maybe sort of tied back into that. Uh, I like sort of the, there's like a little bit of a breakdown uh, towards the end of the song there, where the guitar is just kind of playing on its own. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a cool one. I like this. Yeah, this is my uh, probably my second favorite song on the album. Um, I really like it. I like the driving uh, rhythm part. I, I, like I, again, I like the way that this this album is produced. So when this song comes on, you really feel the bass is bass is pounding. Vinny's drums, which are always really prominent in any any Dio mix, we always always put Vinny up and pretty loud in the mix. But um, Vinny's beat is not. Not too dissimilar from that, say, still I'm sad. The bass, you know, Jimmy's bass is like plugging and it's like deep, and like, boom, 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 you know, it's just really like a rumbling, rumbling rhythm section. I love Dio's voice in this. The lyrics are cool. I like when it kind of like, I think you, you referenced it when you said like it kind of has that breakdown. Yeah. That, that breakdown is really effective, and he just kind of like, the way that his voice sounds, the way that he's singing, it almost sounds a little bit strained. Nobody knows what he's doing. He wants it to sound that way because then when it comes back in, it has a lot of impact. It's a great song. Um, kind of at an unfortunate place in the album because I think I, I think the first few times I listened to the album, I, I sort of checked out after uh, I could have been a dreamer. Uh, Faces in the window. I don't. I mean, I, my you know, first couple times I played the album, I played it all the way through. But didn't really um, really listen too closely after I could have been a dreamer. I kind of tuned out after that. But when I took the time to really listen to the album and really get into it, uh, Faces in the Window really popped out at me. Uh, I just listened to it the other night and I really, really enjoyed it. So, yeah, like I said, it's probably my second favorite song on the album. Very cool. 
stuff. Yeah, I agree. It should have been placed somewhere a little higher on the album. It gets it gets lost a little bit here at the end. But the album ends then with uh, When a Woman Cries. Uh, another kind of deep cut that I think early on, I, I sort of, yeah, I was kind of like you. I, I, I kind of, uh, I would, I, I could have been a dreamer and Overlove took a little bit of the steam out of this record for me. So sometimes I, I didn't quite make it to Faces in the Window and When a Woman Cries. Uh, but I think When a Woman Cries is a cool song. It's, it's yeah. a cool, uh, you know, way to way to end the record. It's a pretty strong song. I probably would have moved this and Faces in the Window, you know, somewhere a little further up. Yeah. On the record. Like I say, I think When a Woman Cries would have been a really good choice for a second song on side two and replace it with Overlove. Overlove, not a great song, but I, again, I, I can just hear it like closing out the album, like just kind of like, okay, we're going to see you. Good night, everybody. You know, kind of like that kind of a feeling, you know, that's sort of what Overlove does. When a Woman Cries, again, it has that LA Sunset Strip, Eddie Van Halen vibe to it but it, it's better in this song. And I think that it, it sounds to me like Dio kind of enjoys being in that, singing in that context and writing, writing lyrics in, in that context. Um, the, 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 there seems to be some chemistry in this song, even though it's kind of, that's not very germane for Dio as far as guitar sound, it works. It starts off with that riff and it's like, okay, here we go. There's another Van Halen type lick, but then Dio comes in and he adapts to it really well. Yeah. Yeah, really well. And I, I think overall it becomes a really good song. The lyrics are cool, a little outside the box for, for Dio. Um, but yeah, everything blends well. And yeah, it's unfortunately placed the very last song on the album. Even when you're listening to it, it seems like, why is this the last song? It's got a lot of energy. It should yeah, it's got a different kind of energy. I mean, you know, uh, Overlove has an energy too, it's, but it, it, it's more of like a closing the album kind of energy. This is sort of like, this to me sounds like a good second song, third song, you know, somewhere in the middle of the album, either in the middle of side one or side two, it should be more, should have a better placement. Uh, it's unfortunate, unfortunate placement on this album for a really good song. So. All right. Well, uh, I guess some final thoughts on the record, you know, for me, uh, for me, it's an album that, like I said in the beginning, that I've learned to sort of appreciate it more as time goes on. It's got one of my favorite Dio songs of all time on here, All the Fools Sailed Away. It, it marks the end of an era for me with Dio. Me personally, uh, I would, you know, drift away from Dio a little bit after this. Uh, and also for the band, you know, Ronnie would be the only guy left standing after the tour. For this album but i i think uh you know if it's an album if you're out there and you haven't listened to this one in a while you know i encourage you to break it out again if you've got the vinyl version you know go for that because we both darren and i agree i think that it sounds better on vinyl and i think there's a lot of uh, really cool stuff on here and there's a lot of stuff to really enjoy final thoughts uh yeah this was i i didn't get onto this right away but i did uh relatively short time afterwards but yeah i completely checked out for lock up the wolves i was like as soon as i heard that you know and craig goldie was out and the lineup had changed all it was just i yeah i was just out <laughs> and in fact i i hadn't listened to lock up the wolves until probably about 
man, let's say about maybe 10 years after it came out, I, I just completely yeah. checked out from his stuff. And if I want to listen to Dio, I listen to this album, or I listen to Holy Diver, or I listen to The Last in Line, or I listen to some Rainbow or some Sabbath. Um, and that was it. That, that was good enough for me. There was enough music there for, to basically carry me through until something else piqued my interest or seemed like it was going to be much better than what I what I thought that uh, Lock of the Wolves would be. After hearing it, uh, a couple of good songs, but I don't think I was wrong. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so that the last uh, last classic Dio from the 80s, the last album in the 80s, actually. So it closes out the 80s Dio era. Yep. All right. Well, we'd like to thank everybody out there for listening. Uh, if you uh, want to hear Darren and I discussing more uh, Black Sabbath and Black Sabbath related topics, if you don't get your fill here, you can go over to my YouTube channel, Layer of the Alchemist, and Darren and I do a series uh, pretty much every Sunday that we call Sabbath Sunday, where we uh, just tackle various uh, Sabbath and Sabbath related topics uh, for the next uh, episode here on the podcast. We are going to be heading back to Black Sabbath with the Eternal Idol album starting. Speaking of new chapters here, the Tony Martin era of Black Sabbath is going uh, begins here and we're really looking forward to uh, discussing that album and all the albums after that. Uh, if you would like to uh, support the podcast, uh, we appreciate your support here listening to us, but if you would like to help us even more, uh, you can financially support us by going to uh, Kofi.com. It's ko-fi.com uh, slash Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. It will be linked in the description and you can make a donation of anything that you would like, anything you donate helps us out. I would like to thank uh, Matt and uh, Tom for their generous donations. And we really appreciate that. And uh, until we see you again, uh, remember that you can only trust yourself, the 19 Black Sabbath albums and Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I would like to say that I really appreciate all the positive feedback we've gotten from the podcast. There's some people that will come on the Facebook page and, you know, sometimes, I mean, John and I do this, we, we try to stay on point of, of once a month we do this. And, and as things, you know, go from month to month and certainly we're moving into a time where it, with the holidays and everything, it gets a little bit more difficult and things that are going on in our personal lives is a little bit difficult to try to schedule. <clears throat> the time exactly 30 days apart. So sometimes we run a little bit over and it's always really cool when somebody will say, Hey, when's the next episode of uh, into the void going to, going to be on. And there's a couple guys that uh, we, we message with on, on Facebook that have been really supportive of, of the, of the page. And, and it really, it, it is a labor of love. I mean, John and I, we've known each other for a long time and, and we've always bonded over all things Sabbath and music in general. Um, having said that, I, John and I saw this review and I, I have to read it because there's no place to respond to it, but I, there's only about four reviews and overall we got, we've got a pretty good score, but it's a great score. It's 4.9. But if somebody were to land on our page on Apple and read this review, they may get the wrong impression. So I'm going to read this review and I'm not complaining. I just would like to clarify something about it. So the review is by a guy named Chris Sorrell. And uh, it was from, it was over the summer, 
22. And he starts out, he said, Sabbath is God, some critique. Normally, I would rate five stars because Sabbath isn't the Alpha and Omega, best band that ever did it. And since I have been 10 years old, the part of my brain that enjoys music was melted by Sabbath into lifelong obsession. Well, first of all, there's not enough punctuation in that, so I'm not even sure if I read it right. I'm, I'm not even sure I'm really understanding what he's talking about, but that aside, it goes on. So I would normally love a podcast like this, but I've listened to two episodes now and I've heard some mistakes concerning album release order, dates, and generally anecdote. It should be anecdotal, but we'll, we'll let that slide. Example, episode two, one host says, in quotes, I thought Master of Reality was a great follow-up to Paranoid. And then the next album, self-titled sounded so much different when the self-titled album when the self-title was the de debut bit the third album just little things like that but still can't pass up an experience to hang out and listen to black sabbath conversation well i appreciate that um if you look on our podcast you will see that all the albums are chronological our second episode was the first black sabbath album uh, the first episode was Ozzy versus Dio, where we kind of introduced the podcast and we talked a little bit about some of the controversy or the two sides that were often butt heads. And we thought that was a good way to kick things off. So that was our first episode. After the first episode, we kicked into the very first album, the self-titled, and we went to Paranoid Master Reality, Volume 4, and so on and so forth. Uh, if one of us, and occasionally it does happen, I know I've had a couple gaffes because I've been like so... Mm -hmm. deep in thought or sometimes even thinking ahead of what I'm going to say next, we riff, we riff a lot. We riff about Black Sabbath. Um, certainly we know the order of the albums. In fact, the <laughs> fact that the podcasts are in chronological order would indicate that if one of us mistakenly said, which I don't even see happening. We, like I said, there are plenty of gaps from time to time, but for us, one of us, I'm not sure he didn't say which one it was and he probably didn't know, but one of us to say, Oh, well, when the self-titled album came out after Master of Reality, I mean, you only have to listen to whatever came before one of us saying that and one of us after saying that to know that we would at least, the very least, would know the order of the albums. So we apologize for any misunderstanding, but if anybody reading, landing on the page wondering if this is worth checking out and then seeing, oh my God. These guys are doing a podcast and they didn't even know the first self-titled album was the first album. I can assure you that we do. And we did. And if you follow the chronology of the podcast, that would indicate. Um, but really appreciate the feedback from everybody. Um, even some of the bad stuff is, uh, you know, you try to take that with a grain of salt, move on from it. Maybe you take it to, you know, constructively. Uh, but on this one, uh, yeah, no, we, we definitely know the order of the albums. So <laughs> sorry, Chris, um, we'll try to be more precise moving forward for you. If you're still listening, maybe you checked out. I don't know. But anyway, I'm going to go. Yeah, on. one of the, uh, you know, the way I always tell people that uh, this podcast is basically uh, any typical conversation that Darren and I might have, <laughs> you know, we don't. Yeah. 
outside of the intro to the to the show we don't script it uh you know no. we have a format we talk about our experiences with the record and then we always end with discussing you know track by track but outside of that we're pretty much just rolling with it and just just doing it and i think that that's that's the way we like to do it and i think that a lot of people appreciate the fact that it feels like you're just hanging out hanging out with us yeah. while we all talk about black sabbath and reminisce about black sabbath uh, but because of that, because it's not scripted out, because we don't do heavy editing, we don't come back and edit things back in and stuff like that. Uh, there are times where sometimes we just slip up and, and it happens. Uh, you know, I know there was an episode in the intro where I don't, I don't think anybody caught this, but where I said rock and roll rebel was on the ultimate sin. I, I mean, it, it happens, right? It happens to all of us, but uh, we hope that in the end, and I think we know because we do get uh, a lot of positive feedback that people just, they see and they appreciate the uh, passion that, that we have for Black Sabbath. And that's really what this is about for us. We never wanted it to be just us simply reading a Wikipedia page to everybody out there. We wanted, because you everybody can do that. I mean, we, we provide some history and background yeah all the records but but really uh what we enjoy talking about the most is just our personal feelings and our personal thoughts on on the record and we enjoy when people message us or leave comments and tell us what they think about these records and uh you know i mentioned our uh sabbath sunday on my layer of the alchemist channel we really enjoy the spirited discussions that we get into there when we're doing uh rankings or discussing our favorite songs and stuff like that. So, uh, hey, you know, at the end, we're all Black Sabbath fans here and it's just, it's, it's all about having fun and it's all about sort of enjoying uh, the band that uh, if you're here listening to this, you're like us, we know you love Black Sabbath and uh, that's what this is all about. So, so we appreciate all the support out there, like we uh, mentioned earlier, and uh, we're gonna be back next time and starting a really exciting chapter. I know a lot of people are excited for this and looking forward to us getting into the Tony Martin years. So hopefully we'll get that episode in before the calendar year is out. All right, so we'll uh, we'll see you at the next uh, Into the Void of Black Sabbath podcast. Mm -hmm.